0: On the show today, I am very excited to be joined by not one, but two very special guests. First up is Greg Sestero, best known for his work on The Room. He's the best-selling author of The Disaster Artist, and he's in Best Friends movie alongside Tommy Wiseau once again. Then I'm joined by Carlos Valdes, star of The Flash, and he's been on all the DC shows. It's going to be a great show, so don't go anywhere. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Benjamin Mayer McKay's Talk To Me. I'm your host, Benjamin, and I'm so excited to be back. We, had, uh, we did have an episode last month, but uh, we normally have two, as, as most of you will be aware. Then I was whisked away off to Supernova in Sydney and Perth. They were both great shows. I did meet a ton of you out there in Sydney. So it was lovely to share that love. If you're a, if you're a fan or a listener of the podcast in Perth next year, come and find me and say hi. Be nice to meet some of our Perth fans as well. Now, as you know, there is uh, still two more supernova events this year. I will be at them, along with some very exciting guests like uh, Ray Park, who was Darth Maul in uh, Star Wars, and we've also got uh, John Barrowman, who was Captain Harkness, and also, obviously, in uh, Arrow and uh, one of one of the stars of the uh, Vampire Diaries as well. It's going to be a great show. So many more guests to be announced. I'm looking forward to being there. But uh, today. We're starting off with something a little bit different. Now, a lot of you may be aware of the best worst movie ever made, The Room, which was uh, written, directed, produced, and a whole lot of other things by uh, a man called Tommy Wiseau. Now, Tommy is an enigma, uh, a very strange man, and there was a film made about him which was uh, nominated for an Oscar called The Disaster Artist, and that film focused on his friendship with co-star Greg Sestero. Now, Greg was in Adelaide recently to promote his new film, which also stars Tommy, called Best Friends, and I sat down and had a bit of a chat with Greg, so here's that interview now. Enjoy. Welcome to the show, and thank you so much for joining me today. Great to be here, man. Now, Greg, what inspired you to pursue a career in the performing industry? Um, I saw the movie Home Alone when I was 12 years old,
1: mm-hmm. and uh, I had a really kind of strange response where I was over and I really um, I wanted more I wanted to live in that world so I I don't know why I started writing a a sequel idea Hmm. and I included myself in the film with a a role opposite Macaulay Culkin that I would be like his buddy that would help him kind of take on the bad guys Hmm. and um, I it was the most alive I'd ever felt I mean granted I was only 12 years old but I don't know. Things, I finally had a purpose. And yeah. so I wrote every night when I'd come home from school. Um, I wrote, I hand wrote the script. I sketched it out, came up with soundtrack ideas, credits, a cover, uh, and then I typed it out. Um, and I created a cover letter. Mm-hmm. And I sent it. I tracked down Hughes Productions, it's called 20th Century Fox. Like, I don't know, man. I don't know what I can do to help you. It's uh, Hughes Productions. So I found Hughes Productions. I sent them the script. um, And I really thought this was going to happen. Like, I really believed in it. It was just something that, uh, I don't know, it was this intuition I had. It was, I I wasn't even really a good student.
0: Hmm.
1: But when I started doing this, I was so committed and I felt so alive. And so um, I had these dreams that John Hughes would pull up to my house at the time in this Red Ford Explorer and bringing me the contract to sign and I was going to be and, and the, the, the script took place in Disney World so these, these two guys end up in Disney World fighting the bad guys and so um, I thought it was going to be on set shooting in Disney World and I wasn't going to go to school anymore and I eventually did get a letter uh, the script was returned um, which when I saw the package I thought oh my god it's going to happen uh, and it was a handwritten letter, uh, note from John Hughes saying like you know he was very touched and and impressed that I did that. And he basically said, you know, always follow your heart Mm. and and follow, follow your passion. So it took me a while to kind of get over that the movie wasn't going to happen. I think it was one of those things where you kind of put it off and you think maybe someday, but I think, um, I think it kind of taught me what I wanted to do. And so that, uh, came about again when I was 17 and I got, uh, offered a chance to model in, in Europe, which uh, kind of then put me in front of the camera and, and started uh, me wanting to, you know, then act in movies. It started up The Passion again. And it wasn't a, a couple years later that I took an acting class in San Francisco. Uh, I'd worked on it as an extra on a few films like Patch Adams, and I'd met Robin Williams. And But it wasn't until... A couple years later that I took an acting class in San Francisco that I met Tommy.
0: And and you meet Tommy, and obviously the idea is, is developed. He gives you a script for The Room. What's your initial reaction to it?
1: Um, getting a script from The Room, I remember when he was writing it. Um, when he was writing the script, it reminded me a little bit of myself with Home Alone, because it was like he had been rejected and he finally thought to himself, like, I'm going to take on Hollywood and I'm going to do it myself. And so it reminded me a lot of that, like writing your own script mm-hmm. is kind of like you're taking out your uh, your aggression or your issues or whatever, and then you're writing your own story. I saw a lot of that. And so when I read the script, it was very much Tommy's planet in a way, like, you know, all the characters yeah. kind of spoke like him. And so it was, um, it was a look into what he viewed life as. And so... In that regard, I thought it was very sweet and crazy and, 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 and in a lot of ways incomprehensible. But, you know, I, he said he wanted to make it. Uh, you know, again, it was one of those things you're kind of helping a friend out, kind of live out their their childhood dream. And, you know, for the most part, it, it's, it's very rare that you're going to make a successful film. So I thought this was a chance for Tommy to express himself. And that was about as far
0: as it was going to go. Mm. And then it happens. He actually manages to finance it and you start shooting it. Did it feel like an obligation as his friend or was it a project that you actually were able to envelop yourself in and a character that you, you know, connect to? Um, I know for me, like, he wrote the role of Mark Mm. for me to play.
1: Uh, And it was, again, it was one of those things, like, I had been trying to act for a while. Um, You know, I would gotten a few... So I was in a movie called Retro Puppet Master, I had an agent and manager, kind of playing the Hollywood game. Um, so I didn't obviously I knew how um, impossible it was gonna be for the, the this movie to succeed. So I didn't really take playing the role of Mark as something that was gonna be serious, you know. And so uh you know, it was the night before filming that Tommy convinced me to play Mark, there was somebody else who was already cast. Uh, and he's like, if you don't do this movie, it'll be the biggest mistake you've ever made. And, and I didn't, obviously I didn't believe that. Uh, so when I did play the role of Mark, it was just, uh, I guess I was just kind of trying to, to fit in, you know, with this, with this dialogue that I, that, that Tommy wrote. Um, so yeah, there wasn't so much as a connection as kind of experiencing this whole movie being made, which was very, very bizarre. Um, and uh, and observing Tommy kind of
0: going out there and getting his project made. And at what point did you realize that the film was actually a success? People liked it, people laughed at it, not necessarily in the way Tommy thought it was going to be appreciated, but how many years did it take for that cult following to actually appear? So it, it
1: premiered 15 years ago tonight in mm-hmm. 2003, uh, and then a few uh, film students in L.A., uh, discovered the film. They, they're walking by uh, this marquee that said, you know, no refunds. Watching this film is like getting stabbed in the head. You know, there were, there were some, some things that drew them in and they went in and watched the movie. It was an empty theater. And uh, I think within 30 minutes, they were like calling their friends saying, we're, we're watching something that's going to change the face of cinema. You guys have to come see this. And so they built up this L.A. cult you know, the particip- participation with the, with the spoons and the and the call-outs. And so it, it was an L.A. cult film for a few years where people would show up once a month. Uh, but it wasn't until 2008, about 10 years ago, that an Entertainment Weekly reporter went to L.A. with a group of friends and got brought to watch The Room. And he said, it was midnight, there was nobody around, but you enter this theater and there's like 40 people throwing spoons at the screen and shouting out and he's like i'd never seen anything like this it was an amazing theatrical experience and i want to write about it and so he wrote this amazing article talking about how the room had had celebrity fans and it had been studied in universities and at this point i didn't know any of this i was living in europe i was modeling kind of you know a few years removed for anything that had to do with the room mm. and so i got this i got this phone call and i was blown away that that this movie had had gone on to do this uh it was, you know, a lot of people were wondering like, oh man, is it something you wish kind of died? And I was like, well, yeah. I mean, obviously the first movie you make or the first kind of break you get, you hope it's uh, Interstellar or Dark Knight or Mm. some great uh, cinematic uh, masterpiece. But people really were responding to this movie and I found it an intriguing chance to see where it could go. Um, And so the article comes out and it starts screening around the world uh, and I just start getting asked all these questions like, holy crap, like you were in the room. What did you think? Did you think it was going to be good? Did, how did you, you know, where did you meet Tommy? Why did he put up a billboard for five years? All these questions that I thought if people only knew the truth, that the story behind the, the room is even more baffling and more hilarious, more crazy. Uh, but at the same time, it was kind of inspiring because it was this friendship that Tommy and I came to L.A., supported each other, and then this crazy movie happened. I thought... This could be its own film, and mm. I thought this could be a really good film, and what a great challenge to tell the story behind your experience in Hollywood and have it become a great film about what's considered the worst movie ever. So I kind of saw this as a challenge to, to write a book that could become the next uh, Ed Wood or Sunset Boulevard or Boogie Nights, uh, and that's when I wrote uh, The Disaster Artist.
0: So you wrote that, it became an Oscar-nominated film with the Franco brothers, and now you're bringing us a new film, which Tommy is also in called Best Friends, which I've seen. I've seen part one, and I very much enjoyed it. Tell us a little bit about that, and then where people all over the world can actually watch Best Friends. Uh, So Best Friends is now
1: Tommy's uh, Oscar potential part here. Uh, It's finally a role that he can slip into and be believable, he can bring a lot of colors to it. Uh, I think he's really good in the movie. It's it's a bizarre film that was inspired by a road trip we took up the California coast years ago, in which he thought I was going to try to kill him, uh, which I wasn't. Um, but it's uh, it's a film, you know, 15 years later that we both collaborated on that we, we took seriously, mm-hmm. tried to give the audience something that will surprise them. I think that's tough yeah. to do after people have been watching The Room for so many years to give them... Uh, to give them a, a new flavor and see, see what they think of it. And so far, audiences have responded really well to it. But uh, so it's it's showing here. Um, there's screenings happening in Australia. Yep. Which I'm really uh, excited to be down here for my first time in Adelaide. And uh, and then there's going to be a worldwide home release where you can then see it in September um, digitally and, and all that. So uh, it'll be widely available by then. And, and if that's not enough, uh, there's Best Friends Volume 1 and Volume 2. We made... We made two films and we didn't even realize it, so we killed Build It, was uh, volume one and volume two, but uh, it, it was great to work with Tommy again because uh, it was a second chance of trying to make something and show that there's more to us than the room, and uh, I think this time, you know, we, we did something that can, uh, you know, doesn't, you know, doesn't mirror the room in any way. It's, it's, a, it's a new adventure, and I think people can, can hopefully appreciate this, you know, 15 years later.
0: Well, I certainly appreciated it. I know we're out of time. So let's uh, let head on over to Palace Nova Cinemas and uh, do some Q&As. Thank you so much for your Sounds time. Sounds
1: amazing. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: That was my chat with Mr. Greg Sestero, one of the nicest working men in Hollywood. Now, here's my chat with this star of The Flash who was one of our guests at Supernova Sydney and Perth. I got to speak to him on the phone just a couple days before I flew out. So uh, he was great there in in Sydney and Perth as well, and we have so many wonderful guests like Carlos. So uh, here's my chat with Carlos Valdez. Enjoy. Welcome to the show, and thank you so much for joining me today. Yes, of course. My pleasure. Now, what inspired you to pursue a career in the performance industry?
2: Ooh, that's a very good question. Um, I think uh, I really was uh, starved for attention as a kid. Um, Not that I didn't get the attention, um, cause I certainly did. Uh, but I just wanted more of it, I think. Um, and also too, you know, I, I grew up, you know, in front of the TV set, you know, like movies, like movies were my jam. Um, so I, I'm a child of entertainment basically. Um, so yeah, I always knew that I wanted to be an entertainer in some way. And, um, fortunate i was fortunate enough to have a mother that encouraged that at every possible juncture and really was my biggest cheerleader in terms of like doing something like that she was the one who told me you should you should do this you should be an actor and then like tried to find avenues for me to to do that
0: so what was your favorite movie growing up
2: my favorite movies were jim carrey movies when i was a kid i mean like East Ventura, both of them, The Mask, Liar Liar. I mean, I just remember watching his performances in these films and thinking, like, this guy's a cartoon. This guy's a kid, you know? Um, And, uh, yeah, I think I, I think his, um, his dynamism and his, um, his musicality, like all of his choices, I think all of that really rubbed up on me in all the right ways.
0: Well, you started your career in in theatre. Is theatre more challenging than television, considering you do eight shows a week?
2: I think most people would say that. Um, And I do think that theatre has its own set of challenges. I mean, I'm certainly more comfortable with theatre because I've been doing it longer than I've been doing television. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, they're just... It's really difficult to compare them because they're just completely different skill sets um I think they're just you know you have a different awareness of of the audience that you're playing to in each medium um but it's um I don't know it's kind of it's kind of the same to me it's just um I don't know I think maybe yeah the awareness is different that's really the only uh the only the only primary difference for me um but uh yeah, I don't know I like them both and uh, I don't know I it's, it's a tough question is theater more challenging I don't I don't know it's certainly I think I think with theater you really have to develop an ability like a physical ability you really have to like warm up your body all the time and because you have to maintain that over a, a, a an extensive run but with TV you know the challenge there is you have to sit idle for, you know, half an hour or whatever, and then just get up and do it as quickly as you can when you're summoned to set, you know? So that can also be very challenging.
0: And what about music? Does that have a different set of disciplines again?
2: Um, music as a discipline? Uh yeah, I think music certainly has its has its own set of challenges. Um, but for me, music is um, is more of an is, is more of an outlet. I really like, you know, uh, acting is, is, is a money making craft. If I'm going to be honest with you, in terms of uh, in terms of uh, how I see it and its role in my life right now. Uh, but music is very personal to me, um, so I think. You know, the challenges with music um, are more um, having to deal with, I don't know, how do I, how do I open myself up to a moment or a, a passage or a lyric or a song.
0: Yeah. Now, one of my favorite episodes of The Flash was the musical uh, crossover that you guys did with, uh, with Supergirl. Talk to me about that episode.
2: Yeah. Oh, it was, it was crazy. You know, I, I had never, I mean, I didn't have any experience as to how you, how a musical sequence is filmed. I mean, I had only really like had experience with the things that we typically do on the show, like superhero fight sequences and, you know, scenes of dialogue and whatnot um, uh, between two people. But um, (laughs) this like, I, I was expecting, you know, like, uh, like I was expecting it to take several days. But really, it, it, the, like the, the what, what's what's it called um, "Put a Little Love in Your Heart" that song, that I mean, that was done very quickly. I mean, everybody had to rehearse continuously, out like outside of work, so that when we came to set on the day that we shot that, everybody could just turn it on, put it on, and and just film it. You know, it was a whirlwind in that regard. Um, so, yeah, everybody kind of had to be on their A game uh, because most of the time for a particular setup, we really only got one or two shots, you know, because that's all the time we had. Um, so, yeah, it was it was crazy. But so we got it all done. We got it all done in like a day.
0: That's incredible. But as you said, you are used to superhero fight sequences and all that kind of work. Is there anything that you had to do specifically to prepare to take on this role?
2: No. Nothing at all. I mean, like I I went in for the audition and I felt like I understood that character just based on on the audition sides that I was given. Um, and then when, you know, I started working on the scripts and we started shooting season one, I that knowledge extended itself to the scripts as well. So I felt like I actually had a pretty solid understanding of who this character was. I think the challenges for me were more technical in nature because I, I hadn't been on camera before, so I had to learn terminology and um, you know etiquette and stuff like that. But fortunately, you know, I was—I had some some amazing co-stars by my side who were all very experienced and very giving and very kind and very professional and still continue to be. And um, I'm, I consider myself so incredibly fortunate to have the opportunity to, like, get up every day for work and just get to work with these amazing actors.
0: And it certainly is a great show. It's returning for another season uh, in the fall, so around October in America. What can you tell us about the upcoming season?
2: Well, uh, viewers will recall uh, the Cliffhanger at the end of season four um, being uh, so, uh, the reveal that uh, the mystery girl is uh, Billy and Iris's daughter, um, which is major news. And so the beginning of season five will definitely uh, address the fallout of that reveal um, because um, Nora, the daughter, is actually in a bit of trouble and she needs Barry and Iris' help.
0: Well, that sounds very intriguing, and our listeners are really looking forward to it. And The Flash has a lot of fans all over the world, and you're coming down to Australia to meet some of those fans at Supernova, at Perth, and Sydney. Uh, why do you like doing conventions?
2: Oh, man, conventions are awesome. Um, they pay a lot, but most importantly, <laughs> um, most importantly, I, I get to, I, I mean, we all get to experience firsthand just how, um, how jazzed, uh, our fans are about the show, like what they love about it, sometimes what they don't love about it. Um, but it's, um, it's just, it feels like a massive celebration of, you know, of what it is that we do, of superhero culture, of comic book culture. Uh, television and, and geek culture um, and so it, you know I it, it always feels like um, like um, like we're a part of something you know and not because you know when we're shooting up in Vancouver and we're telling these stories it's very easy to feel isolated and uh, removed from um, the reverberations that our show has across um, across uh, the world really but you um, and we get to go to these conventions on our time off, um, and um, and really see firsthand um, the importance of the work that we do. So it's actually incredibly humbling for me to do these conventions, and I mean to do them in a part of the world that I've never been to and know very little about. I mean that that is amazing, <laughs> you know, like the, just to. To get to interact with people on a you know on a complete on the complete other side of the world um, and see how they've been changed by something that we've done on the other side of the world um, it's it's just bananas.
0: It Certainly sounds like Well, fans can attend Supernova Sydney and Perth. Uh, so we're next weekend. So next Thursday to uh, sorry next Friday to Sunday in Sydney, and then the following weekend in Perth. You're there along with a range of other guests, including uh, Stephen Amell, who's Arrow, and uh, over in Perth, Brandon Routh, who is Atom. It's going to be fantastic. I can't wait to attend. I'm really looking forward to meeting you there. Thank you so much for your time today, Carlos.
2: Yes, of course. Thank you for having me. It's my absolute pleasure, Benjamin. Well,
0: there was my chat with Carlos Valdez. As always, with phone interviews, sometimes the quality can suffer, especially with those long-distance American calls, but we hope you still enjoyed the interview nonetheless. Well, this is it for today's show, but just a, a friendly reminder that if you love science fiction and you love Great storytelling, do head on over and check out the Phoenix Files audio dramas, starring BAFTA nominee and Doctor Who himself, Paul McGann, alongside Wolf Creek star and Australian icon John Jarrett with the musical theatre stars Stephen Mahey and Kurt Phelan, as well as Andrew Hansen from The Chaser, alongside about 40 other incredible. Australian actors. It's a joy to make the series. We've played a trailer on the show before, and uh, being involved in the Phoenix Falls audio dramas is is just a constant joy. I love it so much. You can uh, buy it or stream it on um, on Google on on Google Play or, or iTunes, and you can buy it on Amazon. Or if you really love us and, and want to send all the money straight to us, rather than have uh, one of those companies take a, a large portion, you can head over to phoenixfilesaudio.com and grab it there. We've just released the second instalment in that series, and each instalment is over two and a half hours long. So it's certainly a value for money. It's like a full movie. Um, you know, we've got over a thousand sound effects. It's a completely original score, full cast. It's great. You'll love it, I guarantee, if you like any of the content that our guests make. So head on over and the Phoenix Files Man in the Shadows came out last November. Phoenix Files Blood in the Ashes has just come out. And the final installment in the trilogy, based off the hit sci fi novels, is out towards the end of this year. And as always, don't forget to check out our incredible supporters, Palace Nova Cinemas and Mad Zombie Collectibles. And you can always read my reviews of the latest films up online as well. And just a quick shout out a very good friend of mine has uh, just released a, a line of uh, bath products. It's called This Is For Your Bath. You can check them out on uh, on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And, of course, from their website, thisisforyourbath.com. It's a range of fantastic, enjoyable products. Uh, They're not a sponsor or supporter in any way at all, just a good friend. And I think uh, if you're anything like me and love a good, relaxing bath, bath bombs and bath dust are so much fun. Well, look, this is it for today's show. I've been your host, Benjamin May-McKay. We've got so many more exciting interviews coming at you. Uh, We've got another podcast out later this month and, of course, a whole lot more later in the year. See you next time.